Today I'm going to be talking about the changes as a result of the Tax Reform Act, not this last December, but the December before last. Mostly I'm going to be focusing on the fringe benefits and parking. I will close out with just some of the donor advised fund issues that you need to keep in mind. But really, the major issue that we've been hearing a lot about over the last year has been the changes to parking. And so, you know, I sat down and was practicing this with my wife, and about halfway through, she said to me, so, so let me get this straight. Nonprofits now have to pay tax on their expenses. And I said, that's exactly it. And unfortunately, that's true. And last year, you know, I stood here and I said, when we're talking about parking and the fringe benefit, all you have to worry about is the non-taxable portion of the fringe benefits that you're providing to your employees. If they're getting reimbursed for commuter rail passes or train passes or for their own parking, that's all you had to worry about. But apparently, what we didn't realize, what nobody realized, and what the IRS believes is that when you provide free parking to your employees, that's a fringe benefit. When your employees are able to park in front of your building and not have to pay anything, that's a fringe benefit that they're receiving and you have to pay tax on that fringe benefit. I can't wait for them to realize that we also get air conditioning and heat <laughs> and electricity because those are also fringe benefits that we're getting and it's just a matter of time before you know, we start getting to pay tax on that. So as I mentioned, you know, you've got the commuter rail passes and you've got your transit passes. All of those are now subject to the extent that they're being reimbursed to the employees or paid by the employees on a pre-tax basis. Those are subject to UBIT. We knew that. That was clear. You can obviously decide to get rid of that program and not allow them to pay those on a pre-tax benefit, and that takes care of that UBIT issue if that's what you decide to do. There are some states, such as New York and California, that requires you to have that program. So keep that in mind if you're doing business in those states. These provisions were enacted to try and equalize the treatment between nonprofits and for-profits. The for-profits are no longer able to deduct their parking expenses either, so to the extent that they're paying for plowing or resurfacing or anything on their parking lots, they can't deduct that. So what they've tried to do is equalize it. So they can't deduct it, those expenses, and now you have to pay taxes on those expenses. I don't think that's quite the same. They incorporated this into Section 512 of the Internal Revenue Code, which is the UBIT section. And so, as a result, you're all having to file a 990-T and report these expenses on that return. But the IRS has, has clarified that it's actually not UBIT. It's not unrelated business income. It's unrelated business expense, and you're having to pay tax on that. For Fiscal year end filers, if you're a fiscal year end filer for December 31st or for June 30th, 2018, you were impacted by that for the, the six months, the final six months of your year end. A lot of the other tax law changes didn't impact you, but this one they decided we're going to get you from as soon as we can. Under the new tax act, there is siloing meaning that if you have UBIT activities, you have to account for each one of those UBIT activities separately, and that includes fringe benefits. You have to account for those fringe benefits separately. You can't take losses from one UBIT activity and apply it against income or expenses from another UBIT activity, except for losses from prior to December 31st, 2017. All of those losses are fair game and can be applied moving forward. But once those losses are used up, they're gone and you won't be able to 
use losses from one activity against another activity. Pre-tax salary reduction is subject to UBIT. Employer payments to a third party for the use of a lot. So basically, if you offer parking to your employees and you have an expense related to that parking, you have to pay tax on it. You know, what I get from a lot of our auditors is they come to me and say, okay, we've got all these expenses. Now, what can I deduct against that? You know, we also paid this, this, and this. And I say, well, that's great. You've just identified more things that you have to pay UBIT on because those are all expenses. There's really nothing that you can deduct against these expenses. I guess in theory you could say we have someone who's having to deal with this and calculate how much parking is out there and there's some overhead related to that and in theory you should be able to deduct some of those expenses or you're having to pay us to file a 990T, that would be a deductible expense. That fringe benefit is capped at $260 a month. Well, luckily, a lot of us for our parking expenses don't go over that $260 a month. If it did, you would have to report that amount that goes over $260 a month on your employee's W-2 as a fringe benefit they're receiving. Most people never really sat down and said, well, how much is a fringe benefit for our employees and is it going over that $260 a month? There was kind of an assumption that it never happened and it never went over that $260 a month and so therefore it wasn't an issue. If your parking is over $260, your UBIT obligation is capped at that $260 a month per employee, but most of us aren't hitting that, so that's not really a, a significant issue. So if you're paying for a lot for someone to come in and park and you're charging your employees for the right to park there, and it's all on a pre-tax basis, then that's still subject to UBIT for you. So keep that in mind. It's whatever expense you have in regards to parking that is going to be subject to that UBIT, whether you own it or lease it. And what the IRS says is that you've got to come up with a reasonable standard to determine what those expenses are. But they don't tell us how to figure out or what is a reasonable standard. We have to determine that for ourselves. So if you've got a building and within that building, you're leasing a building and within that building there's a parking lot, some of that lease expense has to be allocated to that parking. How much of that? I don't know. We've got to figure that out. We've got to determine, you know, if looking, hopefully, if you look at your lease, it says this much is allocated to parking. I'm sure most of us, most of our leases don't say that. So what you've got to do is figure out what a reasonable method is for determining that. Is it square footage? Is it usage? There's lots of different methods out there. The IRS hasn't sanctioned any particular method at this time. What the IRS did do is give us a notice 2018-99, and that's really the first inkling that any of us had that these parking expenses were going to be subject to UBIT. And what 2018-99 is, it gave us a four-step method for figuring that out. And so when you think about that four-step method, the first thing you need to do is figure out, do we have any reserve spaces? So if you've got reserve spaces, you've got a sign that says, parking is reserved for this employee, or you've got paintings on your lot that says these are all for employee parking, or you've got a gate that someone has to, to pass through to get in to park in your facility and it's only for your employees, then every one of those reserved spaces is subject to, to UBIT. And you need to look at your total expenses for that parking lot. And so if you've got 200 spaces and 10 of those are reserved 
for particular employees, then those 10 are going to be subject to UBIT based on the overall allocation of the expenses to those 200 spaces. And the IRS says that allocation cannot be zero. It has to be some number. So you've got to figure out your reserved employee spots. Then you've got to figure out all the rest of the spots. What are they used for? Are they for employees? Are they for visitors? Are they for other people? Because you know there may be other organizations that are using your parking lot. You may not be the only one in that building. So you know if you've got a, a parking lot with 200 spaces, you've got to go through and figure out how many spaces are in the lot and how many are being used by our employees. If it's greater than 50%, greater than 50% of the number of spaces in your lot are being used by employees, then you're subject to UBIT based on the, the total percentage. So if 75% of the spaces in the lot are being used by your employees, then 75% of your expenses are subject to UBIT. So what you have to do is figure out, have some sort of methodology to determine how many of these spaces are being used by my employees on a regular basis. How do we figure that out? Literally, I think to some extent you have to go out and count how many spaces there are and, and then say to your employees, how many of them drive to this facility on a regular basis and park here day in and day out. If you have employees that are only there once or twice a month, then you probably wouldn't count those in determining how many of those spaces are being used by your employees on a regular basis. If it's less than 50%, then you're done. You only have to pay UBIT on those reserved spots. If you have no reserved spots, you're good. And if you did have reserved spots last year, you had until March 30th of this year to take those signs down or paint over the reserves and that would have gotten rid of those reserved spots. Non-reserved spots that are available for the general public, those don't count towards your use. It's really just how many are being used by your employees. So the general public includes customers, clients, visitors, or individuals who are delivering goods or services to the organization. So AAF employees coming and parking in your lot don't count towards the, the use requirement. So you know maybe you want us to, to bring more cars to use up those spots for you so that you're under the 50%. It doesn't include employees, partners, or independent contractors of the organization. You can say we have reserve spots that are not for our employees. In front of AAF, we have visitor spots. We have spots reserved for electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles. We have handicapped spots. All of those come off your allocation. So if you've got 200 spaces and you've got 10 non-reserved spots that can't be used by your employees, then you've got 190 spaces left and that's the number you would use for determining whether or not you're hitting that 50% mark. So you've determined the remaining use and that's the amount that are subject to UBIT. So then you've got to figure out all of your expenses in regard to the parking. And what you've got to keep in mind is that when you're figuring out your use, it's per building or per lot. If you have multiple locations, you can't aggregate all those locations together and say it's less than 50%. You've got to look at each location and each lot in regards to that. Non-deductible parking expenses, repairs, maintenance, utilities, cost, insurance. Most of you probably aren't paying or hopefully aren't paying property taxes on this, but you, you might be depending interest, snow removal, ice removal, all of those kinds of things are things that you've got to think about in terms of what those expenses are. So if you've got lighting in your lot, some of your utility expenses have to go towards that. How much? 
We've got to make a reasonable determination. Doesn't include depreciation, which is good. There are some ways to offset it. There's the, the general business credit. If you look at the new 990T, that business credit comes after the UBIT requirement. Any pre-December 31st, 2017 losses on UBIT can be used to offset this. New losses will not be able to use to offset this. So we've got a uh, poll question here. And the question is, have any of you reached out to your congressmen or senators to express your displeasure with this particular piece of legislation? AAF has written a letter to our congressman expressing our displeasure, despite the fact that it's giving us more work in that we now have all these 990Ts to file. We certainly are not in favor of it, and we would encourage you to reach out to your legislature. There was a bill filed March 5th, which has supposedly significant bipartisan support, and you can use our letter as a template. So, you know, there are questions. Will it be retroactive? Who knows? Maybe you'll have to be filing a 990T to get a refund for any estimated payments that you might have been making in regards to this.